To stay on top in business, stay on top of your technology with the new Business Desk podcast, the business of tech. Listen on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Very warm welcome back to Steve Price. How are you? Yeah, great to be back. I've missed you uh, very much, Mike. Uh, so uh, I guess we have to get stuck into the politics. Was it extraordinary, those numbers? So so just r- the, the rules of the you need a majority of states and you needed an overall majority. He didn't come anywhere close. I don't think anybody who was predicting that this referendum would fail would have predicted that it failed like it did. I'll quickly run through some numbers for you, which... I think your audience will find staggering. So this is a referendum to include a recognition of Indigenous people in the Constitution. So it's changing the Constitution, and this voice would be able to lobby executive government. The nation as a whole, and I've rounded these numbers up for you, voted 61% no, 39.4% yes. A smashing, 60-40 we'll call it. New South Wales, 60-40. Victoria, the leftist of all states in the country, 55, no, 45, yes. Queensland, 68 to 30. South Australia, 64 to 35. WA, 61 to 36. And Tasmania, 60, 40. When you look at Queensland, WA and South Australia, which have the largest, apart from the Northern Territory, Indigenous populations, overwhelmingly the Australian audience said no. And I tell you what, this, this is major damage for Anthony Albanese, but what it says... And if you look at an electoral map of Australia and you put on it the major capitals like uh, Sydney, Melbourne, uh, and, you can, and you can throw in probably Brisbane there, the inner suburb green left-leaning seats that are occupied by people with large incomes and university educations overwhelmingly voted yes. And then when you go to the outer suburbs and then you go to the country and then you go to the bush, it gets even worse for the yes campaign. Overwhelmingly people who are not seen as elitist Voted no. Yeah, what I, I mean, it's several. It's multifaceted, as they say. Not only, not only was it an idea that was never going to get up, in my view, as we've discussed many times because of the New Zealand situation, but he didn't even execute it properly. He didn't even explain it properly. He left a vacuum, and when you leave a vacuum, it's filled with what it got filled with, and hence the decision was made. I think you can go all the way back to election night when Anthony Albanese won the election. Uh, he expected to win. He did win, but he got very emotional election night. He stood up there and said, we intend, and this is the first thing he said after winning that election, to implement the Uluru Statement from the Heart in full. Now, that meant that he was committed to discussions around uh, reparation and treaty. And that's where the Australian public, he, they, he lost the Australian public. And then he tried to just say, well, this voice is just... It's not a big deal. It's just something that's going to happen and don't need to worry about it. It's nothing to do with treaty. And the Australian people didn't believe that and they shouldn't have believed it because he was trying to have them on. And so that's why this thing went down. And, you know, it can never now be revisited. I mean, and the question all Australians, particularly those who voted yes and Indigenous Australians are saying this morning, well, what happens next? Yeah, exactly. Is he in trouble uh, one, generally with Australian people, reputationally speaking, and or within his party for doing something that's going to damage them? Definitely. And then the hard heads within uh, the Labor Party, particularly the Labor right, will be looking at Anthony Albanese and questioning seriously his judgment in all of this. I mean, they got clouded by emotion and then being seen to be the government was going to do the, the right thing by Indigenous Australians, whereas the average Australians looked at the fact that there's 
3% of the population are Indigenous and the amount of money we already spend yeah. trying to help people who have a, a life that's not as good as it should be is eye-watering. I mean, it's billions and billions and billions of dollars. And so if you're out there in the suburbs, and this is where Anthony Albanese has got a problem, Mike, and you're struggling to put food on the table, cost of living is the biggest issue in this country, can't afford to put petrol in your car, you're going, well, how come one group of Australians are going to be treated differently to the rest of us? And I'll tell you what else. The Australia is made up of a very large migrant population. And if you go through the electoral map on this result on Saturday night, you'll see that big migrant suburbs of Western Sydney right. and Western and Northern Melbourne have said quite clearly, well, hang on, I came here, well, my grandparents came here from Italy or Greece or, or Yugoslavia or wherever. They're saying, well, why are we, being, why are we not getting a treaty? Why are we not exactly. getting look up, looked after this way? Precisely. Uh, where are we at with Gaza and the repatriation? Gee, I tell you what, since you've been away, you, your country's got a We've not seen the same thing here in terms of protests and flags and threats and violence. It's got edgy there, hasn't it? It has. I was going to throw that in. There were two big marches uh, around Australia, or well, more than two, but the two biggest were Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, and I was staggered at the turnout. I mean, the, the, pro, the pro-Palestine movement is suggesting there's 10,000 people marching in Melbourne. I think that's a bit of an overreach, but certainly... Thousands of people took to the streets in Melbourne and Sydney, and the crowd was dominated with Palestinian flags and, interestingly, Indigenous flags. Uh, and there has been, an, and while I was away, obviously that incident took place last week outside the Opera House. Uh, I'm surprised at the level of Palestinian support that has sprung up on the streets. On the repat flights, uh, interestingly, another one uh, operated by Qantas. So what they're doing is using Dreamliner aircraft out of London, flying them in, to Tel Aviv to get Australians who want to get out of Israel back to London, and then they're going to fill up an A380 and fly that back to Australia when they've got enough people relocated to London. Uh, but the, the Foreign Minister, Penny Wong, has had to urge anyone who can get out another way to get out. Uh, so two flights already, and it looks like they'll put another one in as well. Okay. Puglia. Never been there. They say it's magnificent. Is it? I'll give you a private briefing. Yes, it is magnificent. Uh, it'll, I'll tell you what I found. Uh, it, the cost of living in Australia and New Zealand is ridiculous. Couldn't agree more. Compared to the cost of eating and drinking when yep. you go to a place like Italy. I mean, you just spend so so much less money uh, going out to lunch or dinner or, or whatever. The other one, small quick observation, driving south from Rome toward Puglia. So it was two, four-hour stints on the road. Magnificent Italian villages, high on hilltops, yep. beautiful. What's between you on the road and the hilltop village? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of wind turbines, which are actually disgraceful in the way that they change the way the countryside looks. It was so disappointing. And not one of them, it was autumn, was turning. Not one. (laughs) Did you go to Rome and what do you make of Rome? I hear sadly poor reports. Well, I spent a week there last year and I only transited through there this time. Rome's fantastic. You still like it, Maureen? All right, good to have you back, mate. Appreciate it very much, and we'll see you on Wednesday. Orvieto is one of my favourite places if you leave Rome, and uh, I think you travel north, but but that's one of those. It's it's, it's one of the unique, is it unique or maybe special parts of Italy? You just look to your left or your right from the motorway, and there's a big hill, and on the top of the hill is a little village, and it's incredible the way they live that way. For more from the Mike Hosking Breakfast, listen live to Newstalk ZB from 6am weekdays, or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love our New Zealand Herald podcast, The Little Things, hosted by me, Francesca Rudkin, and my good friend, Louise Airy. We focus on all the little things that you can do to make a positive impact on your life and to cut through the confusion from the health and wellness industry. Join us every Saturday to hear from the experts for all the tips and advice you need. Just search The Little Things on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.